and welcome to Challenges That Change Us, the podcast where we talk to our guests about how their challenges have impacted them today and how they overcame them. Whether you are someone that feels like you are thriving right now, trudging through the mud or somewhere in between, this podcast is designed to give you practical advice, profound insight into your own experience and inspire you to embrace your life. My name is Ali Flynn, the co-founder and CEO of Tri Altitude Performance, and I will be your host. It's time to buckle up your seatbelts and let's get this ball rolling. Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome back for another week. Many of you are chiming in on a Monday morning when this first gets released. And so if that is you, a massive good morning. But many of you also like listen to the podcast later throughout the week, even catch it up the week after or the month after. So wherever you sit on that spectrum, I am just so pleased you're here with us today. Now, for everyone who is a member of our Challenges That Change Us community on Facebook, we posted the other day about creating a Challenges That Change Us playlist and for you guys to all offer up your favorite songs. And I was like there humming away in my office by myself. You know, there was County Crows, Horses, Uptown Funk. Where is the love? Love, 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 love that song. So, yeah, thank you for putting a smile on my face when you wrote down your favorite songs. And if you're not part of our Facebook group, I invite you all to be uh, challenges that change us. Jump on and look it up. And we, w- we would really, really love to have you in there. Just a quick reminder that there's only 24 hours to book your spot in the resilience course. So press pause now and jump on and book. It's on our Facebook page and in our show notes. I've been hearing from so many of you about the difficulties you're facing in accessing psychs and social workers alike. It takes so long to get in and see someone when you're not feeling good in yourself. It's disheartening to know that so many of you are out there struggling at a time in need. So I wanted to find a way to help you. And the best way I know how is to put a stopgap in place. I'm going to give you the exact tools that I've used and that I give to others around me to get better when they're struggling or facing adversity. Today, I'm thrilled to announce the Surviving for Thriving course, Discovering the Secrets of Resilience, a six-week journey designed to empower your personal growth and resilience. This course has been meticulously crafted to help you navigate adversity develop an arsenal of strategies to conquer overwhelming moments and create a well of resources at your fingertips. So if you're someone who's feeling overwhelmed and drained, if you're struggling to navigate challenges on your own, if you're trying to cope with uncertainty in your world or craving inspiration and personal growth, then this course is absolutely for you. Let's come together live for one hour a week for six weeks and talk about all things resilience, and not just with me, but with a community of awesome humans to help you along this road. I will record it in case you miss a week, but make sure you catch it live because there will be engaging content, awesome tools, and a great opportunity to ask lots of questions. I'm not just going to teach you this content. I'm going to help you apply it so that it is a real benefit for you. Because I love you guys so much and you have supported this podcast every step of the way, I wanted to do something extra special for you. In the future, this course is going to be $297, but because of your support, I wanted to give you the chance to do it with me this one time for $97. The best way for you to book right now is to jump into our show notes 
or into our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, and click the link. This will give you all the information you need and make sure you get a spot with us. DM me with any questions you have and absolutely tell your family and friends. This might be just the thing they need today. Today, let me introduce you to Katie Godden. Katie shares with us what it's like living with type 1 diabetes and the big question she got asked a little while ago about what is your relationship like with diabetes? We chat about her perspective on life experiences, her relationship with diabetes and how it's changed over the years, that moment that she realized she was done and that things needed to change. She shares how the thoughts were all-consuming for such a long time and all the excuses that she came up with and all the self-talk that she had going on between her two ears. We also discuss timeline therapy and neuro-linguistic programming and what they are plus how they've helped her. Katie opens her world up to us about her experiences, thoughts, feelings, and challenges, and she sprinkles this episode with gold nuggets of strategies and tips that we can all take away for our life's toolbox. You don't want to miss this episode. Let me introduce you to Katie herself. Welcome, Katie, to Challenges That Change Us. Thank you for giving up your time and coming on today. Hey, Ali. So pleased to be here. I'm so stoked. I don't know how the audience will go, but we both can talk and we both laugh a lot. So (laughs) I'm like really curious to see how this episode goes. Everyone that's listening, we only met the other day and I think we just like the whole time. I love to start every episode with just getting to know you a little bit. And the way that we do that is I just ask what animal best describes you and what is it about that animal? You know what? I contemplated this and it used to be a wolf. When I was younger, it's interesting to see how it's shifted and changed. But I think predominantly now I would actually be a dog. And the reason that I would be a dog is because I'm fiercely loyal. I love people and I just get excited by all the newness and I'm curious and I search for things and I just get into that real playful mode of huh, what's this? What's that? And so I think that's why a dog suits me most. So just take us back to the wolf though, because I was like, I wonder what's different in the characteristics of the wolf that you now resonate more with a dog. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) So I think for me a long time ago, the wolf represented the whole idea of like standing up, being fierce, being something that never backed down. It was really strong and dominant and wouldn't let anything mess with it. And so for me right now is nothing can mess with me anyway. And so being a dog, the difference for me is in the aggression of it. Like I'm not a lone wolf. A wolf was a very lone kind of soldier where I felt like I was a lot on my own. Whereas a dog, you know, they're in the pack. And I know we've got a wolf as a pack as well, but there's just that fine distinction for me between the fierceness of a wolf and how it's like trudging and everything is just hard work and it's fighting and it's scavenging and it's looking and it's searching and it's trying not to be hunted and people are afraid of it. And to a point of like a dog where it just loves being loved and it just loves life and it just gets excited about the small things. It doesn't matter about anything grander. It's like the little details that it's just a dog is so present, so present. And when you love a dog and, you know, growing up we had dogs, they're part of the family and there's just something magical about the way they love 
without condition, the way they love just because they can and because they do. So yeah, that's the difference for me. As I'm listening, there's the part of curiosity in me that comes up is I'm wondering about, do you think that's changed with all the personal development work that you've done? You know, because it sounds like the wolf, you know, served a purpose for you. And this is like in the whole three minutes that we've been chatting, no, (laughs) no assessment here, but no, like as in the wolf really served you, but now it's like now that puppy and that curiosity and that playfulness and that living life and that like loving the people and having your circle around you seems to be what serves you now. Would that be fair to say? Oh my gosh, that would absolutely be fair. That was what challenged me with the whole question was, oh, I used to be this thing. There was, I used to be. And because I hadn't thought about it in the context of who I am now, then it was it was very different. And I thought, oh gosh, that's really interesting. And I do truly believe that it's the internal work that I've done yes. that has changed that association for me. Because you're right, the wolf... Absolutely. Like there were times in my life that I had to fight. There were times in my life that I had to hold firm. There were times that I was growly and scavenging. There were times when I just felt like the rest of the world was against me. And I think for me now, it's that's so far removed from who I am that, you know, I love that your podcast is challenges that change us. And when I've had this challenge that I've sort of had almost all my life that at the moment it's like, ah, interesting. I went down the personal development journey and changed my life as well. So yeah. And I see my challenge through very different lenses now. And I think we'll obviously open up this conversation today because that's one of the very beautiful things about doing that internal work, isn't it? It's like we have these really strong parts of us that we may have really needed to call on in a period of time in our life. But what happens over time when we get safer or more stable is we may not need that so much. And have we actually been able to acknowledge that, see it, let go of it, know that it's still there if ever we need it for a rainy day, but it's not needed here anymore. It's not needed now anymore. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think the whole aspect behind it is knowing that you can utilize when needed. Mm. I can call on the wolf when needed, yet I choose to stay in in the dog. I choose to stay in that. Let's go back into your story and your challenge. We did have a bit of a discussion about which challenge and we sort of discussed how they all kind of integrate into each other. And then we kind of had a little brief discussion today before we jumped on around maybe it's really the type one diabetes. And I was wondering if you can take us there. If I rewind probably only about 10 months ago, I was being questioned by someone in the medical field. And one of the questions that they actually asked me was, what is my relationship like with type 1? So I sat there in the moment, absolutely gobsmacked. And now you said at the start that you and I are talkers. And in that moment, I had no words. Like that simple question just threw me into a place of going, of real deep contemplation and reflection And I think that was the beautiful thing because it took me back to, well, what is my relationship like with type one and how has it changed? What's different? What did I see it as then? And what do I see it as now? So for me, for the audience is that I was diagnosed with type one diabetes when I was four and a half. So it was back in 1986 on the eighth of the eighth, we all have a diversary, right? We call it a diversary where we have this celebration of how far we've come. 
And so being a four-year-old, four-and-a-half-year-old, we didn't know much about it. We're, we're from a farming background and my family had no one else that had experienced type 1 and so it was all very new to us. So the journey of type 1 sort of took me uh, took me in some roundabout circles, some ups and downs and some in-betweens. And, you know, from my parents, like I really look at their perspective on this now and and thinking about what they must have gone through, you know, having a, a four-year-old that they needed to inject multiple times a day and how that impacted on them. But when I looked back after this question, it was like, wow, there, there was three really clear compartments for me. There was the early parts, which were quite fine. I just, I don't remember a lot of it. I don't remember having the injections. I don't remember a lot of the hospital visits, some of them, but there's kind of like that first part, which was quite tumultuous. And then we came to a second part, which was more of like a be with. And then there's to who I am today with it, which is very much different. So if I think back to the very start of it all, it became more of an issue probably around my teenage years when I started to realize that I was probably a little bit different to everyone else and that I had to deal with things differently. And not only did I have the hormones of a a girl who was going through puberty and, you know, I had body image issues and there was a real rebellion. The way I look at it back then is, is it started to turn into a place of discontent, of why me, of no one else has to have this everyone else is okay and and I'm not. And so there was a real judgmental blame game mentally that went on. But the interesting thing is I had a conversation with my mum not that long ago. She had no idea that that's actually how I felt. She had no idea because, you see, on the surface, I was someone who I would do community events. I would be inside and out of everything. I would be a happy-go-lucky on the outside But then underneath, there was a part of me that just was completely upset, completely uncertain, completely actually pissed off with the world, kind of annoyed and aggravated because I had this thing that felt like at the time it restricted me. Now, I think part of the part of the journey, you know, is there was always a big push of me taking care of myself. And there were some days that I just didn't want to. There were some days that it just felt too hard. There were some days it was like I was trialing everything and nothing would work. And, you know, I'd go to my medical team and the only story I heard was, Katie, you're not doing good enough. Katie, you need to do better. Katie, you're overweight. Katie, you need to be under better control. Katie, you need to take care of this. Katie, it's not now that's the problem. It's in the future that's the problem for you. And so you can imagine the toll that that would take on someone's mindset when they're constantly being told that they need to do better, they need to be better, when the actual fact is, is that experiencing type 1 is not a straight line. Doesn't matter what happens, there's not this straight line, you know. And so it took me, that started to build on and it's, it's, I guess it's like with everything, right? It's the addition of everything on top of each other. It's that compound effect, the compound effect of having those words said all the time, the internal dialogue that I had on repeat, right? That repeat and that repetition, which is just ingraining it even more. And so I decided that, you know, I can do whatever I want. And then I went through, got into my early twenties and I went to uni and I was, I was a party girl. I was the the type of person that was the first to get to the party and the last to leave the party. 
And, you know, I was told that I was not taking care of myself. I was going to cause more damage than good. And so all of these stories that I held on to, they're the stories that I took away and they're the stories that really added to the tumultuousness of living with it. There was this, you know, I'd go through moments where they call it diabetic burnout and it would be where you just don't want to do anything. You just don't care. Eat whatever, drink whatever, do whatever. Do you take care of it? Just enough to survive. Just enough to survive, never to thrive. And so those moments come in ebbs and flows. And so it's about, it was for me just about surviving them. There was no strategy. There was no, I had no idea how to cope with it. You know, a young girl that had come through, I didn't know what was going on. And I look back at her now and I think, oh, wow, you did pretty well, girl. You did pretty well for what you were living with and what you were experiencing. Uh, You did the best you could with what you had. And then it kind of got a little bit further on. And, you know, I'm a mum of two boys. I've got two very healthy boys. And being a diabetic and going through pregnancy was really intense. And this was probably the second phase because the second phase, which was where I was okay with it, was the fact of I had to plan to be pregnant. So 12 months before I actually fell pregnant, there was a a, a whole, actually, I didn't have to, but I chose to. I didn't have to do it, but I chose to because I wanted the best outcome for my kids. There's a lot of complications that can happen with people who are experiencing type 1 when they have babies. And so I wanted to do everything in my power to make sure that everything was okay. And I don't know about you, Ali, but when you try and take more control of things, sometimes it feels like it gets more out of control before you actually take control, right? Absolutely. (laughs) The more you know, the less you know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly right. And so, you know, going through that was really challenging. I had to do finger pricks every two hours. I actually started to take care of my health, which prior to that, I didn't. I drank a lot and I partied a lot and I didn't sleep a lot. Whereas now I was really focused on, okay, what can I do in order to make my babies the healthiest that they can be under the circumstances that they're growing? And so after my first son, I nearly lost my life with what happened with him. And after my second, he nearly lost his. And both were a result of experiencing type one. And so you can imagine the not only was there that old me that had the the mindset of blaming myself, why me anyway, that all of a sudden I was at a place where now it's like, well, it is me and this is what's going on. And so I went into a quite a dark place, a place of PTSD, a place of anxiety after those two births and they're perfectly healthy and well now, which is great and amazing. And so that kind of led me into a place. I started to become the mum I didn't want to be. I was really angry. I was feisty. I would say things that I didn't mean, yet I couldn't help it. I would yell. I would just feel like an uncontrollable rage inside of me until I decided that enough was enough. You know, that moment when you go like, oh, I'm done. I'm done. And there has to be a better way. There just, there has to be more than this. And so I decided to take the time to go, well, cool, Katie what are you going to do about it? What are you actually going to do? And so that sent me under the line of what you said at the start about being in personal development and working with it. And that just took me on a whole different trajectory. And, you know, I also got some, uh, when I first fell pregnant, 
I had an insulin pump. So for the audience, the insulin pump prior to, I used to have eight needles a day. And then once I got the insulin pump therapy, I would change it once every three days. Game changer. (laughs) Quality of life. Oh my gosh. But there's even more now. Like the beautiful thing is let's fast forward to nearly 12 months ago to the day. I actually got given another device which works with this. So not only was I doing the internal work, but I'm so fortunate and we're so fortunate and these days to have a CGM, which is a device that sits either on our arm or on our stomach that talks to the insulin pump. Now, what that does is it monitors your blood sugar level and it tells the pump how much insulin to give you. It has an algorithm and that algorithm is in accordance to your body and it learns your body cycle of like what, how much extra insulin you need and how much you don't. And that just took the mental load off. Because if you think about it, like living with type 1 is not something that's just a, you live with it while you're awake and then when you go to sleep, there's nothing. Your body is still highly alert of a nighttime. So my body knows it has a system that it wakes itself. But the beautiful thing is now that we've got this technology, now that we've got these what we call closed loop systems that they talk to each other and the insulin pump will actually stop if it thinks that you have too much insulin on board so that you don't go too low with your sugar levels. And so that that was the game changer. Like if we're going to talk about game changers of game changers, it transformed my life with the help of my team. So one of the key factors has been having a a good team. I was just thinking, and the work that you were doing, like you were doing the foundational work internally, and then you got an external device that laid on top of that. I wonder, and we'll never know, had you just got the device in the first place, it might've kickstarted that internal work, but you also may not have moved the dial. Like it sounds like post-children, you made a really informed decision that you wanted to do as much as you could about it. Is that right? Like you were just like, what do I need to know? How do I start filling up my bucket instead of stripping from it? Yeah, and I think the thing there for me was, number one, because I was having flashbacks of Lucas's birth, which is my second son, and number two was the fact that I was starting to get diabetic complications were starting to appear. As someone who had diabetes for 26 years at that stage, There was this mix of like my mindset was down and I knew I wasn't the person I needed to be. So I had to do something. I started searching and looking for that and then found found my thing that started to clear it all out and help me like release all of that. And I think that coupled with the technology has been the game changer without a doubt because I didn't realize like that last little thing I needed because the constant in our mind is am I okay? Am I doing the right thing? Do I need to do something else? Gosh, my sugars are up and down. Like there's a lot of negative self-talk that comes when you're not having the expectation, right? The expectation that my sugar levels should be really perfect. And my diabetic educator, she summed it up. She said to me one day, and this was the beautiful thing, and this is where for me, you have to have a great team. And my great team is like having the mindset people that help me with the mindset, having the people who help me with my physical body, having the people who help me with the diabetes on different levels, right? There's not just one level, but the one lady who changed my life and actually like then gave me that little tick over 
because I had, you're right, I'd done all the work. I'd, I'd changed the way I think. I'd changed the way I'd spoken. I changed the way I viewed the world. And then she came in and she used one metaphor, one anecdote that just shifted everything for me. And it was this one thing that said, Katie, because I was having a tough time, my sugar levels weren't right. They weren't in the range where they should be. They were all these things. So there was a lot of self-judgment. And she just said to me, she goes, Katie, type 1 diabetes is just like nailing jelly to the wall. And I just sat there and in my mind, like, I don't know what comes up for you, Ali, but I just laughed and I cried and I I giggled. I just, I sat in pure disbelief, like no one had ever said that to me. And I'd never, ever viewed it like that. So in that instant, I was just like, you know what? You're right. And I'd realized the perfectionism in me, the high achiever in me, the the person that wanted to have the best life, she had this expectation that was unachievable. And so once I realized that expectation I had was unrealistic, I mean, you can aim for it, but it, it was something that is, you know, having type one, there's a lot of unpredictability in it. And so that, that was just a game changer for me because my vision, like when it comes to changing, I had, I knew things weren't right. My physical body wasn't right. And I wanted to be a 90 year old woman who was playing with her grandkids, kicking a ball, laughing, having fun, walking on the veranda, not the other option that was playing out in my mind. And so I just chose to solely focus on what I wanted and where I was going and who I wanted to be when I was 70, when I was 80, when I was 90. And then that started to help drive the behavior behind it all. I can hear as you're talking how much work has gone into this, how much yes. time, resources, energy, people, like over decades, right, to get you to where you are today. And I guess I just want to highlight for our listeners that it isn't something that happens overnight and it really does take blood, sweat and tears. Like you've really, it's sweat equity to kind of get there, that you can't, can't cheat it. But you've talked about a few really key pivotal moments throughout that you know, we can kind of pick them up. When the lady spoke to you about the jelly on the wall, I mean, what a beautiful analogy, metaphor, you know, because you can't pin jelly to the wall. Like when you said that, I was like, hang on a second, visually, like I had to come out a story and be like, I'm like, it doesn't work. It was all I was thinking is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I'm like, that's the whole point of it. It doesn't work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you also mentioned, and I just thought it might be worth just mentioning it for the listeners. You mentioned that there was a moment there was a moment when you had your kids that was like, I need to make a change here. Like this is not the person I want to be and this is not the life that I want to live and this is not how I saw my future being. Are you able to tell us about that moment? Because we all have them and sometimes when we have them, we think, God, like I don't even know where to start. You know, when you have those big moments, you don't actually have the answers. You just have an epiphany that where you are right now isn't where you want to be. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I remember that moment so vividly, so vividly. My boys were seven and five. So my youngest was five, Lucas. And I remember I was, I was this mum who had become introverted. I was this mum who'd become a bit of a recluse, a bit of a hermit, was happy to stay home, you know, not that outgoing person that was doing everything. And that happened after we got home from hospital with him three weeks after his birth. And so 
Fast forward to five years on from them, things just never got better. Things, I never got back to who I was. I could never really feel like I could control my emotional state. That was the big thing for me. And there were, there were two moments, but the one that was most pivotal for me was the fact of one day, and I laugh a little because people say you shouldn't cry over spilt milk. And this day, it was a beautiful summer's day and my two boys were sitting at the kitchen table and I was doing some things in the kitchen. They were eating their breakfast and they were just giggling and laughing. They were quite loud, but, you know, that just comes with us. We're just loud people. And my youngest, he actually came into the kitchen and he swung like he just goes like a bullet a gate. He's he's fast. There's nothing slow about what he does. And he came around the corner and he tipped his plate up that had a spoon in it and had some leftover milk in it from the cereal and it went all over the floor. He dropped the bowl and the bowl, when it crunched and the spoon, like sent shivers through my body. And I remember just this rage coming up in me, like this moment, and I got down at his eye level and I put my hands around his arms and I had to do everything in my might not to squeeze. I had to do everything. Like I just looked at him and I was so internally angry and frustrated and yet I knew it wasn't right it was milk on the floor it was not over anything precious it was not that anything broke it was not that anyone got injured there was actually no logical reason for me to feel so out of control and I felt completely out of control but I had enough nouse about me to not squeeze And I remember gritting my teeth and talking to him in such a way that was awful. And it was a a moment where I go, I'm not proud of it, but it's part of what happened. It just is that part of what happened. And in that moment, I remember realizing like, this is not okay. This is not the mum that I imagined. This is not a normal response. This is not a response of someone who has their son spill milk on the floor. And so I took myself, I took a breath in and I just walked away. I left the mess on the floor. I just walked away. I let go of him and I just left him. They were both silent. There was no tears. There was nothing. It was just silence. And I went into the bathroom and I remember sitting there shutting the door and just crying and crying and crying and just saying to myself like, Katie, this is not okay. It is never okay for you to do that. Like this is, this is beyond. And so that was the moment that I went, something has to change. And you're exactly right. I had no idea what had to change. No idea, except it was something in me. It was something in me. It was not them. It was not the fact that he had to stop running. It was not the fact that he had to be quiet. It was not any of that. There was something that was unsettled inside of me. And so that was the moment. That was the pivotal, like, And so being the human that I am, I had to find an answer. And that's when I dove deep. So that's the question, right? Like, so let's talk about that. So from that moment, what did it look like next? Like, did you, you know, shake it off, stand up, go straight to the computer? Did you have a conversation with your partner? How did you go from zero to 0.1? Not even to one. Like, what was the zero to 0.1? Yeah, that next best step, right? I always talk about it with people about it being, what's my next best step? And so for me, my next best step was to just go out, was to just take a deep breath in, calm myself down and just walk out, go and give him a hug and clean up the mess. 
that was it. That's all I had to do. And then I had to go and be in the sun. And so I went and sat in the sun. The boys were outside and I sat in the grass and I, on the grass, we look over this beautiful valley, Ali, beautiful valley. And I remember looking there going, Poor. okay, is this all there is? And then the next thought was actually there's more than this. And so I just started to look. I just started, I'd had previously, you know, in the, in the previous five years from when my son was born to that point, I'd had people suggest that I do things. People suggest I write my story. People suggest that I go and do talk therapy. People suggest that I go and do X, Y, and Z. And so I had all of a sudden these different options that people had given and I went, okay, well, what feels best for me? What actually feels best for me? And so um, I dove in and I went to some different modalities to help me with it because I didn't want to relive the story. I'd tried that. I'd tried writing my story and I was just a blubbering mess. So I was like, okay, I need something extra. I need some extra support. And that was where I actually reached out for support. And I think that was the greatest thing I'd ever done because the the first time I reached out wasn't actually the thing that was going to help me. But I tell you what, it told me what I didn't want. And I think sometimes a great place to start is what you don't want. <laughs> and that can give you, when you're in that place of uncertainty, not knowing, not knowing how you're going to get out of it, not knowing how to take that next step, like what is that next step? What is that next step? And so for me it was just to try something. And so I went and tried a number of different things. When you say, Katie, that you tried a few things, like are you able just to give us a bit of um, an insight into what some of those things were? Yeah, so some of the things, my second son was the most traumatic and so that was the the key that I thought was going to unlock everything. And so I had tried doing journaling around it. I had tried to talk about it with a psychologist. I had tried to do some kinesiology on it. The thing that really didn't resonate with me personally, like these are great avenues. Uh, the thing that didn't resonate with me personally is that I had to relive it. Relive the trauma. Relive the trauma. Yes. As opposed to finding a way through it and finding a way to integrate it into your world and move on, you were actually being taken back and, and kind of almost being dropped in it again. I was in one of the one of the things I was dropped in with a particular practitioner. Yeah. And it took me days to recover. It took me days to come back to myself. And so knowing what felt good for me was the key. Like what felt good. And and when I say felt good, what felt good for me that I wasn't saying someone else told me I need to do this. Someone else told me I need to do that because the truth is is that we can only find our thing. And also I think when you say what feels good, you're not saying what feels easy. I just want to clarify that, that it sometimes it's still hard, but there's a difference between easy, hard, and this feels right for me and this doesn't feel right for me. I think what you're talking about there is that sense of like, this isn't resonating with me. This isn't my jam. This isn't, this does, this is vibrating against me, not helping me. Absolutely. And that's the super clear, clear part. I'm glad you brought that up because that is really important. I didn't choose the easy route, I chose the route that felt and resonated with me. That was it because I did, you're right, I had to do the work. I then had to go in and the the modality that, that helped me was timeline therapy. That was the one that cleared out for me personally uh, a lot of the trauma, cleared out a lot of the, the work and 
it just shifted the way I thought. It shifted the way I behaved. It shifted the connection. And so therefore I came to a place of acceptance of what was. And I'm thinking a lot of people may never have heard of timeline therapy. So I'm going to ask you that, but I just want to put a little drop in the ocean. When we're talking about these types of therapy, they are like tools. And I think sometimes, you know, if you haven't gone and studied it, you can be like, well, therapy's therapy, but it's not. It's like when you go to the gym, you might use a kettlebell or you might use weights or you might use a treadmill or you might have a trainer there. So different therapies are like that. It's like different tools you can use to unlock your full potential to go back and heal your trauma, however that looks. And one therapy might work for you and one therapy might not work for you. You mentioned in particular a type of therapy. You talked about timeline therapy. Are you able just to give us a little bit of background on what that is or what that meant for you? The beautiful thing that I loved about it, what it is, is it's it's a form of hypnosis and quantum thinking. So it's a complex tool to discuss, yet it's so simple to use. And I think that's what I loved about it. The, the thing that it resonated with me is that I didn't have to go back into the trauma. The thing was, was that I actually got to work my way through and beyond what had happened in order to come back to myself and in order to release all of that, you know, heal that trauma, what you just said, heal that trauma. And so for me, it was a beautiful step in that I could release what was holding me back so that I could step into the version of me that I dreamed of being. And that was the beautiful part of it. So it's a it's a process. It's not so much a therapy, like it's called timeline therapy, but that was just the, the name that it was given because of the times when it was created. But it's just, a, it's a form of hypnosis. And to give the audience a bit of an idea around the time frame for you, like did you go into one session, six sessions, a year worth? Like we're honing in on one thing here and let's just be really honest that there was probably a hundred things happening at once. But when we're talking about just this one little thing, what was the kind of time frame for you when you look back? When I look at it is probably about a 12-month, like 12-month period from when I found something that was going to make the change and that I was all in on. So what does that mean? What do I mean by all in? All in just means like I'm throwing everything I have at this in order to change my life. And that's what I mean by that. And so for me, it was probably about a 12, 18 month turnaround uh, from there. But from when it, when that first incident with Lucas happened, it was probably two and a half, three years for me to find it, to make my way through, to find what I liked, what I didn't, uh, to find what was going to work with me, uh, the right practitioners, all of those things, you know, and, and me being committed to make the change, knowing that it was possible for me. I think that's a huge part is, is our ownership of making the change. I, what I realised in all of this is that there wasn't going to be a magic pill that was going to shift what was happening inside of me that the work came when I shifted what was inside of me and I chose to see it differently. Uh, and, and that's, it's not, like you said, there's, there's, it's not an easy route to go, but I tell you what, it is so rewarding on the other side for me. And I'm also thinking it might be helpful here just to have a conversation around whether you still found 
excuses, barriers, things coming up throughout that time. Like we, we can clearly hear you made a decision that this is where you were going to go and you were going to throw everything at it. Everything you could possibly throw at it, you threw at it. Was there still moments that you like spat the dummy, threw something across the room, was like, I don't want to do this anymore, you know? Like were there moments of that? Oh, my gosh. Was there moments of that? Yes, absolutely. There were moments that I thought, gosh, I can't do this. This is too hard. Maybe I don't deserve this. Maybe I don't deserve this. Like I'm a shit mum. Maybe this is where I, like I've just got to live with this. There were moments of just wanting to give up, wanting to just pack it in and go, actually, maybe this is just who I'm meant to be. But in those moments, I just rechose. Talk to me about that, Katie. When you say you chose, what do you mean? Yeah, so what I've come to realise is that in the moments where it's the hardest, we just need to choose what we wanted to choose at the start. So I go back to the point of where I made the decision to go all in on me and I go back to that and I'm like, you know what, you chose here and you chose here because of this and you chose here because this is what you want. And so for me, when it comes to change, we need to continually choose to make the change. We need to continually choose to, you know, there are moments where I still get frustrated and rouse on my kids. Absolutely. Are there moments where I stop and and have a little hissy fit? Yeah, of course there is. Like I'm only human. It's part of the human ex- experience in my model of the world. And so, yes, along the way, it was not a straight line. It was not a straight line. When we think about the trajectory of change, it was like this. They can't see that. Here I am drawing. (laughs) You guys can't see what she's doing, but she's drawing little squirrels, a few little steps going up and down the screen. And it's so true. It's so true, Katie. And that's why I wanted to highlight that because I'm yet to meet someone that's like, yep, I chose to do it. It was easy. I went in. It was linear. Like that is not how it's going to be, everyone. (laughs) No. And we're also unique and different. that we need to know that like it's okay for people to be where they are and that's that's a big lesson like it was okay for me to be where I was and it was okay for me to take the next best steps for me and it's also okay to fall over oh, yeah it is absolutely okay to fall over and graze your knee you know emotionally physically as toddlers we don't learn to walk and run without falling over hundreds <laughs> of times. It's the process of learning and it's a process of experience and it's a process of learning to be a human in this world. And so it's the same when we think about our emotional journey. Without a doubt and really becoming au fait and okay with feeling the emotions, that that was a big lesson for me, right? I used to hide my emotions. I was, I'd never cry. I would never rouse. I would never yell. I would never, I was just kind of like this person that was just bubbly on the outside, but everything else bubbled underneath. So I had bubbles on the outside that were great, but then the internal bubbles were the ones that weren't. And so for me, it's it became a process of learning to be with the emotions because it's yin and yang, right? Like that place for me of knowing that the emotions are good. They're giving us an awareness. They're giving us, uh, they're telling us something that we don't agree with something or that something makes us sad or that we're, we love something so much or Something's really important to us as well. And so for me, it's about, cool, how do I move through the emotion rather than let the emotion define me? 
And so being able to move through the emotions is something that I've had to learn rather than repress it, rather than hang on to it, rather than squish it down because you don't want to be like a dragon and singe someone's eyes off, you know, or their eyebrows off or their hair. It was coming to that place of going, cool, well, how do I actually express the emotion so that I no longer hang on to it? That's been a journey. You have lived a life and you've also reflected on it and looked at micro moments, macro moments, what does it mean for you, and really been able to do the internal and external work. I think about experience. Like I said, you've lived a life. Honest, like coming on here today and telling your story and some of those moments wouldn't be easy, I can imagine. So just being so honest and authentic and upfront with our listeners. But the other word I think is courageous. You had the courage to say, I'm going to step into a space that's different. I'm going to show up for myself. I'm going to show up for myself every day, even when it's hard. I'm going to come on here and show up for your listeners. I'm going to, you know, like the courageousness of your personality shines through. So I just wanted to let you know that these are the things that I'm thinking about as we're talking. But I want to know, I want to know from you now, like what does life look like now? Because we've kind of, I know we've gone over it so quickly and I hope that we've kind of done it justice because it's, it's a huge story. Your diabetes started when you were four, you know, and we've spoken about it for 40 minutes. So really we've kind of given every year a minute, but <laughs> what does life look like for you now? Life now is so much different than it ever was. And it's far greater than I could have imagined possible. I think that's the thing I love about the way my life has showed up. So I was a primary school teacher and, you know, going through being a mum, changing identities there because I became a mum. And then once I became a mum, I had all of those things happen with my mindset and where I came to. And that shifted the trajectory of what I wanted to do. And so that really shifted everything. It, It shifted my relationship. It shifted the way I communicate with people. So when I when I learned the skills of what I learned in the personal development, I started applying them at school. I started applying them with the little people at school because it was kindergarten to year six. And then I started applying it like at home with my own kids. And what I realized, and Ali, we haven't spoken on this, but I just want to quickly touch on it, is the change that I did internally impacted my kids. And what do I mean by that? My my eldest was very anxious. And once I did the work, he became less anxious. Uh, and, and that was a beautiful moment because that changed the whole dynamic of our house. That changed the whole dynamic of, of who we are. Now, I'm not saying I'm perfect by any means. I'm not saying uh, that everything's roses and rainbows and unicorns on this side. There are, I still have to work. I still have to be mindful of how I speak. I have to be mindful of how I think. And the thing that I love is that this has led me down a path of passion. This has led me down a path of growth. This has led me down a path that I never in my wildest dreams, if someone had said to me when I was 18, Katie, you're going to be doing this when you're 40, I would have laughed and gone, I don't even know what that is. What are you talking about? And, uh, you know, studying the modality that helped me transform my life, helped me transform the way I think, helped me transform back to where we started the relationship with type one was what I fell in love with. And when I fell in love with that, I had to go deep. I had to dive in and do the research, find out all the information. I had no idea that I could be in control of my mind and that I got to choose 
how I thought in the trajectory it went on. And that was gorgeous. And so I just dove more and more into it. I'm just going to pause you there because what you said is pivotal for our listeners. And that is that you get to choose how you think and how much energy you give to those thoughts. I'm trying to teach my girls this at the moment that like I say to them, what's happening inside that head? What story are you telling yourself? What language is in there? And they can't hear it yet. So we're working on that because I'm like, when you're unaware of it, it runs the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And they're recycled. Mm, over and over. Yeah, recycle something that I, is actually going to serve me. Mm. And you're right, it is, it's a huge concept to get our minds around. And I had no idea that it was available yes. until I started And that's the part I want the audience to know. Like if you're listening to this right now thinking I don't know what they're talking about or I don't have strategies and skills in my life toolbox on how to work with that, how to become aware, then then that is maybe something to tuck away that when you want to do some work, that might be a great place to start. But Katie, we were talking about what you went in to study and I interrupted you just to kind of shine a light on that. (laughs) Yeah, grab that little nugget of gold, right? Grab that little nugget of gold. I love those moments. Uh, yeah, so I, I just I just went all in. I went in number one on me. I went all in on me. And then I went all in on understanding how the mind works. I went into understanding how language impacts and affects our outcomes and the way that we view and love life. And so for me, I had to go all the way. I had to dive in. I bought all the books. I studied all the courses. Let's talk about what some of those are because I think that's really relevant and to the next bit of conversation that I know is coming that you don't know is coming. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. I love those. I love those moments. So the things that I studied were about neuroscience. They were about how do we change our language to change our thinking. So NLP is one of those, which is neuro-linguistic programming. And that's basically a study of the mind and of excellence and how we can use the mind and the words that we use in order to create the outcome that we want. And now here's the big thing. It's the outcome that you want, not what everybody else says you want or you need, but the outcome that you're actually looking for. And so... And that that outcome, it's okay for it to change. Yes, (laughs) so true. It's absolutely okay for it to change. It's okay for us to choose again. Yes. I think we can make a choice and we can keep making that choice. And if that choice isn't working for us and it's not giving us the outcome that we want, we can change it. That's the beautiful thing. That's the beautiful thing about life is we get to choose. And I think that's probably what I would call the ease and grace of life is knowing that nothing's a tattoo. Mm Mm-hmm. The way you think is not a tattoo. The way you speak is not a tattoo. Like it's not there permanently. The life you're living now is not a tattoo. Like we absolutely all have it within us to change the direction we're on right now. Mm -hmm. We may not know how. We may not know who's going to be on that journey with us or who isn't on that journey with us, Mm -hmm. but we all have the power of choice and we all have the power of what attitude we wake up with. Yeah. Yeah. And we can flip it in a moment too. That's the beautiful thing. And the more aware we become or the more aware I became, the greater choice I had because I realized that I can choose to surround myself with people who can help me. I can choose to be in an environment that makes me feel good even when it's tough. 
you know, and, and be around those people that think that way because everything that we do, we, we, we get to be the creator of that. And no matter where you are, I think that's the biggest thing for me. No matter where I was, everything happened in a way that was just right for me. Just right for me to be able to come here and share my story with your listeners. Just right enough for me to be able to become the mum who I am. Just great enough for me to be able to learn lessons in life that I didn't know I needed or I didn't know was available. And even though at times it might feel like it's not right, it also is just giving you, you mentioned it, the full human experience. I love that line. Like if you think, if everyone stops and thinks about what is a full human experience on this earth and it has every colour of the rainbow, it has every shade, every twist and turn, every heartache and joy, all of it, you know. And so you mentioned that word and I thought that's so true. We if you really want a full human experience, you need to embrace all of it. All of it. Yeah, that's right. Embrace the great and embrace the stuff that leaves us a little bit deeper. But I think that's the beautiful thing. You know, it's like we can't have day without night. We can't have we can't have warm without cold. It is that human experience, the yin and yang. You can't have resilience without adversity. Absolutely. It's one of the gifts that comes out of adversity is resilience. Absolutely. And courage and strength. And yeah. I did not know I could do that or make that. Yeah. We're going down a different path though. I yeah. want to ask you, I just, I said to you before I knew where this conversation was going and now it's gone down a different road. The road I'd like to take you down is ask you what you're doing. Like what's coming up this year? You keep talking about like I started down this road, but what is that road? Where are you now? Yeah. And the beautiful thing, you know, I've switched in and out of what I've helped people with. What I do now though is my mission in life is to help people understand their thinking and the way they speak and language and communication within ourselves and with others. And so what I do now is I do NLP trainings for health practitioners so that we can start to have conversations that actually talk with each other rather than past each other. Because in my journey from where I was to where I am, the biggest difference is that we were speaking different languages. You know, my healthcare team when I was younger was speaking a different language to a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 18-year-old girl. Whereas if I can help people shift that, understand how people think so that others can receive the information in the way in which it's intended so that we can actually move forward in life. That's my mission. And so now I run NLP trainings on that. And I work with some people privately one-on-one to help them move through their mess. You know, our mess is our message. And so that's some of the work that I do as well. How do people find you? How do they find me? They find me on Facebook under Katie Godden. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. So there and LinkedIn are the two places they can find me. And Katie, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like our listeners to know? Absolutely. Yes. Strength comes from courage and the courage is within each and every one of us. And that's the greatest lesson I've learned. I love that. (laughs) I love all those words, courage, strength. They're just, they're, oh, they mean the world to me, those words. They're so powerful and have so much sitting underneath them. Yeah. Katie, I love to finish every episode with asking our guests who or what in their world truly makes them belly laugh. (laughs) So I've got two things I want to share with you. First and foremost is little people laughing. 
You know, when you see babies laughing or you hear that little child just laugh and giggle uncontrollably, I lose it every single time. I can't talk. I have tears down my cheeks. That baby giggle is just like the ultimate for me. That's the ultimate. And the second one, which, you know, some people, they question me on it, but the thing that really makes me belly laugh is when you see people falling over or slipping or doing hilarious things like that. When they're finding, they're trying to find their feet, I lose it. I laugh hysterically. And that that sort of stuff just makes me belly laugh. Do you know, I was thinking then as you said that, I'm like, it's so true. Not everyone laughs at that. But what we used to do at uni is we used to do pranks of walking down the street holding stuff and then do a fake trip and everything go everywhere and see what everyone's reaction was. And I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> that was what flashed before my eyes. So anyone from Albies, shout out. Or remember, like, we used to wave the wrong way. So, like, when people wave, like, turn around, oh, my God, it just <laughs> – this is why I asked this question because it just fills all of us with memories that we can associate with something that you've said. Oh, well, we used to sit and watch Funniest Home Videos. Do you, oh. I don't know. There may be some listeners who aren't that old yet, but, oh, my gosh, Funniest Home Videos. Bring it back. Hysterical. I know. I know. Tears every time. Every time. Every time. <laughs> it, it just makes you laugh. I can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Katie. I'm in the most privileged position sitting here having guests on this podcast because I take so much away from every conversation and and yours is no different. Like there were so many little moments in there, the way you describe things, the stories you were able to use so that we can understand exactly how it was for you in such a short time. You know, you took months of information and condensed it into a few moments, but with such grace and honesty and courage, definitely. So thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your story or part of your story. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to share it with your audience and you. What a great episode. Loved meeting Katie. Hopefully I will see her again soon. Don't forget guys about the resilience course that we have coming up. I don't want you to miss out. I've 100% been thinking of you as I created this course content. How, how can I deliver so much value and give you the strategy so you can embrace your life and navigate all the challenges and adversity that comes your way? So that information is in our show notes. It's on our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, and it'll also be all over our socials. So jump on board with us all and don't miss out. We will see you guys next Monday for another episode of Challenges That Change Us. Thank you everyone for listening and taking the time out of your day. I believe we can learn so much from connecting with other people's experiences and stories. I hope you've gained some strategies and insight from today's episode. You can gain more by joining our Facebook group, Challenges That Change Us, or next week we will return with another episode.